Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Hello, and welcome back to Awareness to Action. This is our season two finale, and I am thrilled to welcome Amanda Quintana and Colleen Jones to the show today. Amanda and Colleen both work as program managers for the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center in New York State. In their roles, they work to connect clients who have been negatively impacted by problem gambling to services and supports. I became familiar with Amanda and Colleen because I'm a fan of their podcast, The Hidden Addiction. I have learned so much about problem gambling through the conversations they have with their guests, and I'm delighted to be sharing their wisdom with you today. Their energy and enthusiasm for their work is contagious, and I feel confident that you'll benefit from hearing their perspectives on gambling. All right, Amanda and Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. We're excited to be here. This is our season two finale, and we are very excited to have both of you here. Oh, exciting. Ending with a bang. Yeah. (laughs) So let's start with how the Problem Gambling Resource Center came to be and about the services that you offer. Yeah, so... um, the, the Problem Gambling Resource Centers, um, so we work under the New York Council on Problem Gambling, um, which has been around for many years. Um, however, in back in 2015, um, they were doing some studies um, with the calls that were coming in um, in New York State about like problem gamblers and if they were getting help, right? And we saw that um, only 2% of those calls of people who were struggling with their gambling were getting into the correct treatment. So they decided to start a pilot program down in Queens, New York. So it was called the um, Queens Center for Excellence. And they um, saw an increase in those calls getting directed to the right help up to 86%, right? So that was great. These callers were getting where they were supposed to be to the appropriate treatment. Um, So then that's how the Problem Gambling Resource Center started. So we now have seven resource centers across New York State. So we cover the entire region. Um, And I'll let Amanda get a little bit into um, what services we offer at those resource centers. So like Colleen said, there are seven centers across the state, and we have two main goals for the resource centers. The first being to raise awareness on problem gambling, and we do that through information sessions, education, training, podcasting, things like this, right? So however we can talk with people to really discuss the addiction of gambling. So however we can have that conversation to really discuss the addiction of gambling and how that is impacting people in the communities. That's what we do. Uh, And the second thing that we do is get those individuals access to care. Uh, And so one way that the resource centers do that is we were able to start working with the existing outpatient programs and inpatient programs. We were able to add a network of private practitioners to essentially increase the treatment density in the state. Um, And I think that could be what weighed into that initial 2% of callers getting access to treatment, right? There were a number of barriers. There weren't many treatment uh, centers that were local to the individuals that were looking for care. So, you know, if we kind of think back to those times, someone might've been calling in looking for help and the closest treatment option would possibly be hours away or maybe more intensive than what they were looking for, what their current schedule would allow. 
Uh, so we were really working just to increase that uh, treatment density. So that way when someone was calling in, they would have essentially somewhere to go that was local to home. Um, we do offer financial assistance as well, which is really helpful. You know, as we can imagine with a gambling addiction, um, there's going to be that financial component where someone may have high levels of debt or, you know, not be in a position where they can really afford um, that additional expense. So we're really working to reduce those barriers and ensure that anyone looking for care uh, can access it. Oh, and I didn't even mention recovery resources. I'm sorry. Um, so in addition to the treatment options, we want to make sure that there's also recovery supports available. So we not only partner with the Gamblers Anonymous meetings in the area and the Gamanon meetings, um, which are those group support settings. We've also met with a number of smart recovery programs throughout the state. Um, obviously, Colin and I are one of the seven resource centers, but we're all kind of working with that same mission of how can we make sure someone calling in um, can get directed to care. So that's, those are the main things that we focus on, but through our work, obviously, we know that there are other needs that our clients will have. So we also like to partner with the local community to make sure if someone calls in with a gambling addiction, but also is looking for housing support or a food pantry, or, you know, maybe they are uh, being impacted by intimate partner violence. Like we partner with those local agencies. So that way we can not only, you know, service their problem gambling needs, but also what other uh, needs they bring up. From what I, from what you both have shared and what I have learned from listening to your podcast and, and reading about your work, it, it just really seems like you're, you're looking to make recovery and treatment comprehensive enough and um, just expanding access enough that it, it really works for every person because every person is, is entering this in a different state of being, um, a different set of circumstances. And I think that's really amazing. Yeah, our motto is here to help. So we try as best as we can, you know, however someone really taking that person-centered approach, right? When someone calls in, they may be in a pretty low place or going through some hard times. So however we can really just show up for that person and allow space for them to exist and then offer those supports, um, that's what we're here for. So I'd also love for each of you to share about your specific role um, in the Resource Center and the path that you took to get there. Yeah, so um, Amanda and I are both program managers, and um, since Leilani wasn't able to join us, well, we'll talk a little bit about what she does too, just so you guys can understand kind of what the Problem Gambling Resource Centers really do. So Amanda and I are both program managers, so our main focus is really to answer those phones, right? Um, we are here, like we answer nine to five um, Monday through Friday, but if someone is calling in looking for resources, looking for information, looking to get connected to a clinician, Amanda and I are the ones who are going to be answering the phone. Now on the other side of that, besides answering the phone, we do a lot of work with our clinicians um, just to make sure that they're supported, that they are um, you know, doing trainings that are problem gambling specific. Each clinician that comes through um, that's part of our network does problem gambling treatment um, trainings. Um, but then Amanda and I work to just support them continuously while that they have clients. If they have questions, like Amanda mentioned, if there's additional resources that someone needs, you know, if they're struggling with their housing, um, we can make sure that they're connected to the appropriate resources in the region. How I got connected into um, this field, like many of us, I think, who are working in the problem gambling field, um, I did not 
know anything about problem gambling before I started in it. Um, I was working actually in the field of higher education um, and someone suggested to me that this might be a good fit for me, something that I might find interesting. So I decided to apply um, and I, I was able, you know, to, to correlate a lot of the work I did with students um, into this role as well. But yeah, I, I learned a lot while I was while I was working um, here, but I think um, like my background, obviously working with students in person-centered care um, was able to easily transition into the role of program manager while we're talking to these, you know, clients and callers that are calling in as well as building those relationships with our clinicians and our resources in the region. Yeah, and I think Colin did a really good job at explaining kind of how that program manager role looks in the resource center. So to answer the second part of the question of how I got into the field, um, I too kind of fell into the realm of problem gambling. I do have a history in my career working in the field of addiction. Previously, I was working uh, on the prevention side of things. So now we have a more treatment focus, but previously I had a prevention focus working in the communities, specifically with coalitions working to um, address substance use amongst youth. You would think that I said that a lot and that would be easier to get out, but it's still a mouthful. Um, but that was really excellent work. And so making that connection to problem gambling, you know, we always talk about how the science of addiction still remains the same. And while the channels um, and how essentially how someone may be using substances or be addicted to food or be addicted to gambling, right? Those can all look very different, but the science still remains the same. Um, so really working to apply that knowledge to this current role has been very helpful. Um, and then before doing that, I was working in case management, which I always say has prepared me to do literally anything because that is just constantly being like thrown into everything that's going on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, like Colleen said, I think we all uh, kind of fell into the role just to give a little overview of what our third team member do, uh, does. Leilani is our team leader for the Problem Gambling Resource Center. And in her role, what she does is work to really focus on educating the community on what problem gambling is. So going back to that raising awareness piece um, and really working to build those partnerships and maintain them. So that way, whenever, uh, like if an organization has a question, she can come in and provide that education session or training. She is working on prevention efforts, connecting with those different providers in the area, again, to make sure that, you know, those prevention channels all are essentially prepared to provide this information to the community and really raise awareness. Uh, and, you know, one thing we talk about a lot with problem gambling is that it is often called the hidden addiction because it can be very easy to hide, right? And there's a lot of shame and stigma. Um, so one thing we try and do is really just have as many conversations as we can. Our executive director <laughs> jokes and says that our job is really just talking to people. And it's, it's the truth, right? The more that we can have this conversation and really raise awareness and start breaking down that stigma, I think the more that we can really help the people that we're serving. Um, I have already mentioned this, but I am a fan of your podcast, which we'll talk about more later. But something I, that, that just made me think of from one of the episodes, I think it was the women in recovery one, um, but someone said, you know, we always ask, how, how can we address this? How can we make change? But we're doing it right now by talking about it and having that conversation. So I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned, Amanda, coalition involvement in your previous work. And I am curious, our listeners know I'm always talking about coalitions because I think they're, I just think they're so incredible and crucial to our communities. Here in Virginia, we see a lot of work with the coalitions with substance use. I'm wondering if in New York, you've been able to bridge that, the work with the coalitions and, and bring the, the work that you're doing with gambling into that, or if it's still something that's being built. 
So it's still being built. Um, we are definitely in the talks of how can we build these systems and networks to essentially go into that realm, right? And so, you know, obviously, if you're talking about coalitions, your listeners know coalitions really are such excellent movers of change, right? It's community members coming together and saying, okay, how can we identify what changes we want in our area and what can we do? And I think that um, in the field of problem gambling, the New York Council is trying to uh, really take that model and apply it and make sure that we can still be having these conversations, um, but have the community really at the forefront of the conversation. Because, you know, we always talk on our team, obviously the three of us are talking about gambling day in and day out. And so when we're in a meeting saying, hey, like problem gambling is a real addiction that's impacting real people on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we'll have one-on-one conversations with different organizational providers or community members. And it always comes up that they know someone, whether it's a loved one, a close friend, someone far removed from their life, maybe their old high school friend, but someone they know is impacted by the addiction. And it's one of those things where when they hear one of the three of us on the team talking about problem gambling, it's expected, right? But if we can really work with the community, not only to A, raise the community readiness about having this conversation and really addressing how it's impacting our local communities, um, but B, to bring them to the forefront of the conversation and really take that ownership to say, okay, this is impacting our communities. And it's not to say that gambling is good or bad. You know, we maintain a neutral stance on gambling. It's just to say, let's raise awareness that this is something that is impacting our community members. And how can we as local community members, how can we as maybe, you know, key stakeholders or what have you, how can we just work to break down that stigma and make sure that they have access to appropriate support. So really excited about the project. It's something that's in the works behind the scenes. So this is like that first little sneak peek, um, but it's definitely something that is going on. That's awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what it means for your center to be neutral about gambling? Yeah, absolutely. So to take a neutral stance on gambling, which basically just means that we are neither for or against gambling, right? So we... Don't we say this all the time? Like we we know people are gonna gamble. We're not judging people if they're gambling. That's perfectly okay if you want to go gamble. Um, however, we also know that people struggle with their gambling. So if someone is, you know, struggling with their gambling, we're here to help. And that's that's basically what what it means for us to be neutral. I also want to make sure that we're giving a little bit of context to our listeners for this. So can can you just define the differences between social gambling? problem gambling and gambling disorder. Yeah, absolutely. So really um, how, how we define problem gambling is, is very simple. And it is any time that somebody has a problem with their gambling, right? Um, for social gamblers, um, a lot of times, you know, they're able to set limits on their time and their money. You know, they know that going to gamble is a form of entertainment and that's it. That's all it is. Um, Amanda always uses the thing, you know, if you go to the movies, you know, it's a form of entertainment. You know, you're going to spend money on a ticket. You're going to get some snacks and all you're going to get out of it is that movie, right? So social gamblers in that way also know that if they go to gamble, you know, they're not expecting anything back from that gambling. So as far as problem gambling, anyone who's struggling with their gambling, like I said, anytime it it is a problem is what we say is problem gambling. Um, For our center in particular, you don't need to meet a diagnostic criteria um, in order to be a part of our program. And that can be someone can be struggling with their finances. 
It could be jeopardizing um, a relationship that they have with their loved ones. Um, they might be having problems at work, having constant thoughts about gambling, returning to chase their losses. You know, if they've lost money, um, going back the next day to try to, um, you know, get even with that money that they lost. And really for um, disordered gambling, you know, it is in the DSM-5, like to meet the the criteria. And that's really all that the, the big definition between like problem gambling and a diagnosed gambling disorder is that they've been diagnosed. And I don't know, Amanda, if you have something you want to add to that. The only thing I would tag on, it's one thing we always say is, you know, someone with a gambling problem isn't always able to be diagnosed with full-blown gambling disorder, but people with a gambling disorder do have gambling problems, right? And it just really simplifies it. Those problems, like Colleen said, can be seen so far and wide, um, and oftentimes are seen whether they're as symptoms or even sometimes people will provide other uh, reasoning for why those problems are. So if someone's having trouble at work, they might not think, oh, this is because I'm distracted at work and I'm not able to complete my, my tasks because I'm focused on gambling. Whereas they might just think instead like, oh, no, I'm just having trouble at work because my job is hard and it's not comfortable here and I've got to leave. You know, so sometimes those problems can be like misallocated to, you know, really what's the root cause of that. But yeah, no, I think Colleen had a really good explanation for those differences. It's like, root versus fruit, what's underneath versus what are the symptoms that we're seeing. Um, so the work that you're doing is not decades old. This, your resource center is, is pretty young in the grand scheme of things. So I'm wondering what are some of the things that you've learned as you've taken this on in the last few years? One thing that's been really fun for us um, in our region specifically is just working to connect with the local communities, right? So our, you know, as mentioned before, we do cover the region. So in our region, we have seven counties that we cover, which is quite a large piece of area to cover. Um, but it's been really amazing to connect with the different local providers and connect with the, the existing establishments and, and the networks, connecting with the existing networks um, to really work to not only address the addiction, but see how we can support the work that's being done. And I mean, through all things COVID related, obviously there has been so much heartache and so much pain that's been experienced in this pandemic. But to address the flip side, we have also been able to connect with providers in a number of different ways, but also see how we can connect with the community in different ways, right? So pre-pandemic, we were able to be more boots on the ground in person with people, really having face-to-face -face conversations. And so while, you know, being more indoors, not having the same face time with the community, um, one thing that's been really exciting for me is being able to be more innovative and creative for finding ways to connect with the community through things like the podcast. I know during Problem Gambling Awareness Month, for example, we were able to connect via like Facebook and we had different partners record videos and share them online. And this year was really exciting. We had a statewide Shine the Light project where we had different landmarks across New York State lit up in yellow in support of raising awareness for problem gambling. And I think doing things more outside of the box, right? Like finding different ways to really address what's going on in our communities and see how we can start that conversation, right? Planting those seeds. Um, for me, that has been one of the most exciting things because it doesn't always have to be, you know, like you said, our, our resource center is very new. Um, and so we don't always have to follow the decades old process of how things usually go. So it's been fun to 
be creative and how the work is able to be completed. Yeah, I'll just, you know, agree with Amanda on that. It's definitely, um, we're only, we're three years old. Um, while the, you know, the New York Council has been around for a very long time, um, the Problem Gambling Resource Centers are, you know, just just shy of three years old. And um, I think for me too, the one thing just that I have learned, like I said, we both kind of like problem gambling wasn't our background, right? So I think just being able to educate people, um, there's a lot of shame and stigma around gambling and around gambling addiction. Um, so being able to educate people and also be be that resource, like the amount of people that call in who like didn't know that there was help available. I think that that's a really impactful thing. Um, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's nice to be a part of, but it's exciting to be a part of um, being able to provide these resources and get people talking about it. I'm curious, you both mentioned the pandemic in different ways. I and this might be an obvious question, but I come from a substance use treatment background. So, you know, with my work, I've seen the impact of the isolation of the last few years. And obviously addiction thrives in isolation because it, you know, it just, addiction can be so isolating. I'm wondering if the same is true for gambling, because in a lot of contexts where people gamble, those weren't available during the pandemic, but there are also, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And so at the start of the pandemic, we were under the same thought process of like, oh no, things are going to skyrocket. Um, And so actually what we saw after looking at our data for 2020 and going, mostly 2020 going into 2021, things changed. Um, But in New York State at the start of the pandemic, right, we shut down. New York State was on lockdown. You couldn't go, you couldn't go to the different gambling venues, whether it be the casino or going to the store as often as you would for the lottery or scratch-offs and, you know, things like that. So actually we saw our helpline numbers decrease during that lockdown. And after further discussion and really doing that like intrinsic reflection, it kind of goes back to the idea of, well, the relationship between access and availability and how that's going to impact the risk of something happening, right? And so throughout the pandemic, well, specifically during the beginning, when we had that uh, lockdown, our helpline numbers across the state decreased. And once these different venues started reopening, we saw, again, those numbers increase. Um, And recently, actually this year, we had mobile sports betting legalized in New York State. And so since the legalization and launching of those different online platforms, again, right, if you consider access and availability increasing, the risk of those having a problem with said item, whether it's unhealthy food, gambling, alcohol, tobacco, drugs, right? Like anytime you increase that access, you're going to have an increased risk of having problems. Um, And so since the launch of mobile sports betting, we have also seen those helpline calls increase. Um, One thing we also saw though, considering that community readiness, those conversations of, you know, what does gambling look like in my community? How can I, as the metaphorical I of a community member or organizational leader, so on and so forth, how can I be more involved in essentially creating more protective factors or having these uh, education sessions so that way we can try to reduce the risk of a problem? Um, that also increased. So it's you know, it's twofold. And I think that goes back to the neutral question, right? We, we focus on problem gambling. That's what we do, right? How can we work to make sure we can reduce the problem as much as possible? And it's been really 
um, inspiring to see so many people get behind that message. Colleen, did you want to add anything to that or? Okay. No, I think Amanda covered it perfectly. Yeah. You mentioned mobile sports betting, which I think is a perfect example of any time that we feel comfortable in the work that we do. And, and I'm not in um, addressing problem gambling, but in really in any of these fields where we're serving the community and addressing needs, people are innovating at all times in so many ways. And I feel like as soon as you start to get settled, there's something new where it's like, okay, how could we have predicted this? How, how could we have anticipated mobile sports betting, which is now taking off in, you know, in a way that has really surprised me personally. So um, I guess I'm just wondering, you kind of touched on this earlier when you were talking about what you've learned over the last few years, but how do you ensure that you're on your feet and ready to respond to new needs basically at all times? I mean, I think that um, the the biggest thing is there's no way to necessarily be prepared, right? I mean, we also can look to other states. I mean, that's something we did um, in New York is really we knew that mobile sports betting was going to get passed. So we looked at the data and the research in the states surrounding us. We saw Pennsylvania and Jersey. Um, Pennsylvania had an increase in their helpline. So did Jersey. Um, we know that 50% of the people in treatment in New Jersey are currently in treatment for mobile sports betting. So really, that just gave us like a baseline that we were probably going to it's uh, probably going to expect an increase in our call volume, uh, which we did. And just preparing like our clinicians as well, just to make sure that they were versed on mobile sports betting, what it was. Um, what legislation was coming out, things like that. The only other thing I would add to that is, you know, also as, so we work on the programmatic level, but our statewide agency, the New York Council on Problem Gambling, they're also very uh, active in working with the state just to submit recommendations, very, you know, stay very active, um, understanding what those different bills that were then passed looked like, what was included in it, and uh, submitting just suggestions, recommendations to add in these different safeguards. And so, you know, like Colleen said, it's hard because you really can't anticipate what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, But as best as you can, just staying up to date with what's going on in your area and what um, is being discussed for the future. I'm also really interested in in the same um, kind of line of thinking of responding to innovation and to technology. I'm so interested in talking about your choice to start a podcast. You mentioned before already the concept of hidden addiction, which is also the title of your show. I'm just curious, you know, how did you decide on that name? How did you choose to start this project and what that particular format has enabled you to do? Um, So the idea to start a podcast, I think, started as a joke. I think we were just (laughs) like talking amongst our team, trying to see how we can really connect with the community. Um, And we, you know, as I mentioned before, we really love to find different ways to have these conversations and connect with the local community. Um, So when we we were got together and we're like, all right, well, let's see if we can do it. And our, you know, higher ups in the organization gave us the green light to give it a go. then it rolled out the process of, okay, what do we call ourselves? And I think the, you know, the whole point of having these conversations and having the podcast and sharing this information is to really break down that stigma because problem gambling and gambling disorder are so easy to hide um, that we really wanted to kind of call it out 
by its name, I guess, so to speak. Um, and just really say, you know, we recognize that this addiction is very easy to hide. It's very easy to cover up or lie about or keep a secret from your loved ones. And there are so many different ways that gambling can impact a person and a family and a community, right? Like on our podcast, obviously we talk about gambling, right? Um, but we talk about so much more than that as well. And we really try to draw those connections to show the community and really anyone who's listening that gambling is not something that happens in isolation, right? Often it, I mean, it can be very isolating, but it oftentimes goes hand in hand with other presenting problems that oftentimes are far easier to recognize. So whether that be substance use disorder or mental illness or intimate partner violence or crime, or, you know, there are so many different connections that are often the forefront of that conversation. We wanted to really just add gambling into that discussion. We've also been really fortunate to have so many individuals in recovery agree to come on our, onto our show. And it's been so amazing to be able to elevate those voices and show, you know, not only, not only are people suffering in silence from gambling addiction, um, but there are people thriving in recovery and to be able to really show what that looks like for someone and really like just provide that space to show that hope is available. Uh, that's been really awesome. Colleen, I'm not sure if you want to add anything there. No, I just think it's been an innovative way to get information out, um, you know, that we, like I mean, I said, we have like creativity on our team and we're allowed to explore that creativity. So it really was just another way for us to try to connect with the community. And I mean, it's been great. People have called us because of it. We've actually had, I know I've had at least one person call me from a different state and say, hey, I found you on your podcast. Can you, you know, direct me to some resources? So that's been um, an exciting part of it too, is that like, we do have listeners. People are checking in and um, listening more about what problem gambling is, what resources are available. And like Amanda was talking about, you know, that recovery is possible. Right. And like, not to be super corny, but I thought it was so cool that Casey, even you reached out. Like when your email came through, I emailed the team and I was like, guys, people listen, like, this is amazing. You know, cause when you start something new, you have no idea what it's going to be. You have no idea if this idea is a good idea or a decent idea or actually a horrible idea. Um, and so just the fact that like even you've listened, Casey, and you've been able to get something positive out of it. And even us being here now, like feels so unreal because when this first started, we didn't even know what we were doing, you know? So it's just, it's really cool. And it's been honestly, obviously very um, impactful on the work, but also as like just a personal thing to be like, wow, this idea actually was able to grow into this amazing thing. Um, and I'm always a cheerleader on my team. So kudos to my teammates for being able to really make this something that is worth listening to, you know, for people. Um, I hit an addiction to all of our listeners has my highest recommendation. <laughs> and we'll certainly put links to it in the episode description, but I think something that's really special about the podcast format is how accessible it is. And that's part of why we started ours is because we were having webinars at the start of the pandemic and they were at certain times of day and you had to be logged on. And it was just trickier than having a conversation that's out in the world and can be listened to at any time on multiple platforms. And I think for, for people who might be wanting to learn, but aren't trying to do that in a public way yet, podcasts are a really beautiful way to learn or gain support privately. You know, someone can listen and it's not the same as like 
going to a meeting or a book being out on their desk about gambling, but they're get, gaining this information just like in their headphones. And I think that's really, it's a really beautiful blend of this um, private learning while also like a, a tangible form of support and an understanding that I'm not alone because I'm listening to people talk about something that I'm struggling with or that I'm worried about for a loved one. And I I just think it's a fabulous form of technology. And I, I think it's really cool that we're seeing people take advantage of it in ways that really benefit the people around them. Yeah. If I could just shameless plug some of the excellent podcasters that we've been able to work with, Caroline, I'm going to have to uh, call on you as well, because as we know, my memory is absolutely the worst. Um, but just to name a few, Brian Hatch with the All In podcast is phenomenal. Um, we've been able to connect with Christina, um, and her podcast is the Broke Girl Society. Tara has um, a podcast called Ambitious Addicts. We've had Bobby the Awesome come on. Who else, Colleen? We've just so many um, people in recovery. Dave Yeager, um, he is a veteran in recovery, um, and he has a podcast as well. It is Fall In, the Addicted um, Gambler's Podcast, I believe is the name of it. But if you look up David Yeager and Fallen, it will come up. I think I think that's all of our podcasters that have been on, right? Am I missing anybody? Yeah, but like, it's just so amazing because, you know, like you were saying, Casey, they've been able to utilize this platform, not only for their recovery journey as a way to, some, you know, for some people going to recovery meetings is not right for them. And there are, Tara has said it, and I've repeated her words so many times, so props to her, but she said, all recovery, all pathways, because there are so many different ways to achieve recovery. And it's so personal for each person. So each of these individuals not only has created a network and a system and a support, I don't know, vehicle essentially for their, for themselves, but they've also created this space for, like you said, for people who are looking for that information, looking for that recovery, um, privately looking for that on their time, whether it's, I can't sleep at 3am and I'm going to tune into one of these different things, or maybe I just need, you know, some way, you know, if it's a loved one, that's like, how do I have these conversations? How can I better understand what they're going through? Um, so there's, there's just so many wonderful things happening in this space that, uh, as we entered it, it's like an entire new world opened up. So it's been just so cool. And I'm going to stop fangirling now, but would recommend all those podcasts. We will include all of those in the description for everyone listening. Um, so we just talked about awesome podcasts. I'm wondering, you know, if someone's listening and they're hearing information that's really resonating either for themselves or a loved one, what are other resources that you would point them to? Well, definitely I would say, I mean, each state, cause I know, you know, you're down in Virginia, we're up in New York, each state has different resources available for um, people struggling with their gambling or family members. Um, if you're in New York, absolutely, you know, reach out to one of the New York State Problem Gambling Resource Centers, um, and we'd be more than happy to, you know, direct you to what resources are available in New York State. However, um, the National Council on Problem Gambling is a great resource. Um, if you want to look up what resources are available in your state, there is also, um, you know, Gaminon and Gamblers Anonymous, um, if 12-step is your pathway, also great, great places to reach out to. Um, if you go on their websites, there's a number there for you to call. The podcasts, like we just talked about, great, great way to just get some information and, and start kind of finding out what, what resources are available. Um, Amanda, is there anything else you think would be beneficial? 
I would say, you know, even if you're looking for like information, it never hurts to call, right? So whether you're calling the National uh, Council on Problem Gambling does have a helpline and they'll be able to point you in different directions. Um, There are so many recorded webinars online, whether, you know, I know the New York Council on Problem Gambling puts out a lot each year. There are things on YouTube with really great information. So obviously we're in New York State. We're very familiar with New York State resources, but if you were to visit the New York Council on Problem Gambling website, which is nyproblemgambling.org, um, they actually have a resources tab, which, you know, obviously with, if you're anywhere in the world and you have access to the interwebs, um, you can access all that information. And they have a lot, a lot of information, whether it's for the individual themselves gambling, there's an online e-screener to see if it's something that, you know, you're looking to assess how gambling is impacting yourself, that can be something to look into. Um, they have a resource toolkit for family members or loved ones who are impacted by the addiction. How can you yourself, right, that can be twofold for the loved one. How can you um, care for yourself and make sure that you are uh, making sure that you're being well while also setting healthy boundaries and still loving the person um, through this addiction, uh, you know, this addictive process and how can you be a support for them while not enabling, right? So that kind of opens that lens. Um, they actually just created, I think it was for youth. The initial purpose was for like a prevention focused for youth website called, oh, I always get this wrong, mindride.org.com. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's linked on the uh, council's website as well. Um, but I think it does an excellent job walking you through how the addiction impacts the brain um, and what that process looks like. And so, you know, oftentimes with when talking about problem or disordered gambling, the, the, the statement comes up, well, why don't they don't just stop? Or why don't they just stop? And it's not always that easy, right? Like some people, you know, who are really experiencing compulsions or disordered gambling, it's not a, a, they don't wake up today and say, I'm going to rob my wife. They don't wake up and say, I'm going to deplete my bank account. I'm, I'm going to lose my car. Like that's not an active choice that's being made. It's a, it's, an addiction, it's a disease, right? So there are so many resources. Um, sometimes I'm like, okay, don't bombard people, but there's like just so much information out there. And I think, you know, again, just with all things uh, pandemic related, we've all become very comfortable uh, operating online. So, you know, even if you reach out and, and you know, across the country, there are some states that have more resources than others. Um, I highly doubt if you reach out to a state maybe that's not your own and say, I'm just looking for information. They're not going to turn you away, right? If you're looking for help, they're going to give you that help. So um, the first step is always just making that phone call and more times than not, I'm knocking on wood, you're going to be met with compassion on the other end. I am really curious to, or excited to hear your, both of your answers to this question, since you have both found this work or come into this work in different ways, but this is the question we ask all of our guests, which is what does the process of awareness to action mean to you? That's a really good question. So I think awareness plus action, I don't know, my, my biggest thing has always been having conversations. And I think that in all the work that anyone is doing, not specific to problem or disordered gambling, but really focusing on connecting with the community, that the awareness piece of really just raising the awareness. How can we have this conversation to say, how can we really recognize that something is happening together? And then the action piece is what can we do to move forward? And I I think an important piece um, is to recognize that as far as I know, none of us service workers have magic wands. I mean, if anyone does let me know, because I'm very interested. Um, 
but it's not always finding a solution to the problem, right? Like if we had a solution to world hunger, we would all be better off for it. If we had a solution to disordered gambling, if we had a solution to substance use disorder, we would all be better off for it. Unfortunately, at this time, we don't have it, um, but what we do have are tools that we can use to move forward and improve the situation in our community, in our state, in our country, in the world, right? So how can we, and I think sometimes it's even taking bite-sized pieces of like, what can we do to make this problem 5% better, right? Because sometimes you can't have the, the full blown, even if you can't even make a 25% improvement, but like, what can we do in this moment to make it 5% better? And what, you know, what is our capacity? What resources do we have? How can we move forward? So yeah, I think the awareness is really like just starting that conversation and saying, you know, here we are and the action pieces, how can we get to where we want to go? Great job, Amanda. No, I mean, once again, Amanda said it perfectly. Um, and it's it's funny, actually, Awareness Action was, I think last year was our hashtag for um, Problem Gambling Awareness Month, um, because really just like building that awareness that, you know, problem gambling is, is a problem for some people. And it's something that we want to make people aware of so that we don't have the same stigma that we have, you know, with other addictions. We know, we know that stigma is there, but we want to break down that stigma, right? We want people to not have that shame and to be able to reach out to, to call for help, right? Because it's okay. There are resources available. Um, but yeah, I think that's really in a, in a nutshell, you know, um, making people aware of it so that they are willing and able to make that first step and make that first phone call and get those resources that they need. Well, I'm really grateful to both of you for joining us on our show. I, you know, personally have benefited from listening to your podcast. It has really increased my own awareness and in turn, my own action. And I just think you're, you're doing this work in a way that's engaging and exciting and inviting. And I, as someone in prevention and treatment, just find that very inspiring. I feel like a fangirl interviewing both of you. <laughs> so thank you for being here um, and for the work you're doing, because I think it's really important. Thank you. We're really excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you again to Amanda and Colleen for joining us. I hope you'll check out their podcast. And an even bigger thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us for another season. I have loved the conversations I got to have in season two, and I'm already excited for what we have to share in season three. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our bonus episodes this summer, and join us again in September for season three.